Hi, I'm Deirdre Veldon and this is Confronting Coronavirus, a daily podcast on the COVID-19 outbreak. These are radical actions aimed at saving as many people's lives as possible in the days and weeks ahead. We're not prisoners of fate. We can influence what's going to happen to us next. There is no fate but what we make for ourselves. Today's episode comes to you after a host of measures came into effect at the weekend on the advice of the Chief Medical Officer. Particularly in the context of admissions to intensive care, as the Taoiseach identified, those have continued to increase day on day. And while we think we're still at an early point in the course of this disease, we think now is the time for us to move to strengthen the measures further, uh, to try to spend two weeks to really suppress the transmission of this virus as much as is possible in the community. The timing of these new measures, if not the fact of them, took most people by surprise. Health editor Paul Cullen, why are they necessary? A number of reasons were given for this third bout of measures by the Chief Medical Officer Tony Houlihan. He referenced the number of cases, the increasing number of cases, although that hasn't been too bad actually, the number of cases hasn't been increasing quite as fast as people expected, but that is varies according to the amount of testing that goes on. But there has also been a steep increase, obviously, in the number of deaths and critically in the number of people admitted to ICU. So there were a number of factors which influenced the thinking uh, behind further tightening the screw on the restrictive measures that were introduced at the weekend. So one of those reasons is the number of sick people needing ICU beds. And the HSE has said we will see the peak around mid-April insofar as it's possible to tell. We have around 500 ICU beds now and the HSE are saying about 1,200 critical care beds can be made available. What's the difference between these two types of care in the first instance? Normally we have about 250 ICU beds in the country. It's been a bone of contention for many years with the doctors in the area saying we don't have enough. We've managed to double or maybe a bit more uh, the number through various measures and investment at the last minute to meet this crisis. And then just below that uh, level of um, complexity in terms of medical treatment, you would have high dependency beds, critical care beds, which are very souped up um, beds. And if you at a stretch, then basically the health service is saying we can put together about 1200 of these. um, And there seems to be quite a large supply of ventilators available, which is the essential life saving equipment for people in extreme distress. But I must hasten to add, it's not just about the beds, it's not just about the equipment, it is also about the staff to, to, to man these beds. And if the staff fall away because they're sick, because they've contracted the virus, or they have to go into uh, self-isolation because they were in close contact with somebody who contracted the virus, um, all the beds in the world are going to be no good. We really need the staff as well as the beds. One of the things that has been cited as a factor in the numbers of, of health uh, care workers uh, becoming ill has been the relative shortage of personal protective equipment. Obviously, health service staff are very worried about the level of protection um, that they have, because first of all, you have to realise this virus has turned out to be a lot more sneaky, I suppose you could say, than we first thought it was. There is definitely asymptomatic transmission and quite a lot of it. That, in other words, you can get this from people before they even know that they have the disease. Um, it can also survive on surfaces longer than um, was thought uh, at first. And the kind of surfaces that you would see in a hospital environment like metal, plastic and so on, perhaps for days. Um, so there's an extreme need for this equipment. But the need varies according to the kind of medicine that you're practicing. and. 
obviously the highest level of need is in critical care where staff are dealing with patients who are symptomatic, who are shedding the virus at their highest level, coughing and sneezing. So really, you need a lot of equipment for that. And we just we don't have enough equipment in general and we don't have enough um, high grade equipment um, to get us by. We do have problems about distribution. Um, there are areas perhaps where it could be redistributed and that's what they've been trying to do. Now, we knew have we have new shipments in. Um, the numbers seem large, but people will go through them very fast. So, you know, it's really going to be very, very tight, um, it seems, because um, up to now, the advice has been that's been given to staff is to, re, to reuse equipment even, uh, to spare it, uh, to use it sparingly. Um, and uh, controversially in parts of medicine as well, to do without equipment in low level engagements with patients who are not believed to be carrying the disease. And some staff have obviously concerns about that. Um, hopefully those those concerns will be um, got over. One issue that's arisen is, uh, are the guidelines that we have there driven by the uh, amount of supply that we have or are they driven by the medical need? And some staff feel that actually they're influenced by the fact that we don't actually have enough equipment to go around. And that's obviously a concern for them. Let's look at the numbers on testing at the moment. So the HSE says over 15,500 people are waiting to be tested since the government changed the criteria. Among those waiting, 10,700 have an appointment for a test and almost 5,000 are awaiting an appointment for a test. Meanwhile, there are 5,000 tests being carried out every day. So more than 33,000 people have been tested since mid-March. We have 46 testing centres in operation and a further six are due to come on stream. Up to 60,000 testing kits have been delivered and a further 100,000 will be delivered each week. That's a lot of big numbers. But yet that testing is only reaching the cohort of people who now qualify for a test under the two-symptom rule. What about everyone else, including people who are asymptomatic? Yeah, so the official policy is test, 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 as recommended by the World Health Organization. But then we realised we didn't have enough testing kit and we weren't going to get enough testing kit in time to carry out that policy. So a rethink was necessary. And that's okay, I think, in a fast moving situation and a crisis that you're dealing with. Um, So we can't do what South Koreans are doing, not just yet. So they drew in their horns public health officials, and they said, OK, we're getting only 6% positives on these tests that we're carrying out. That's not really very efficient. So they increased the criteria. Fair enough. On the numbers, we can see there's a big drop in the number of people waiting for a test. And on the versus the increased number of tests that are now being carried out, you can see that those uh, that backlog will be cleared. But the problem then is, for in the longer term, is we're only testing, as you said, we're only testing a small number, uh, small proportion of the population. But within that portion, proportion, let's let's be clear, the first priorities are the very sick or the sick, the hospitalised and health staff uh, so that health staff know that they have uh, the disease or not, that they can go back to work or not, uh, that they might be infecting um, the friends or other uh, colleagues or not. So they're the priorities. Um, now we've got to work on if we can stabilise the system, get rid of the back 
lug. We can perhaps then move forward into a wider kind of testing. There's talk, as you know, of um, apps and so on, so that people will be able to be tracked. Um, there are different types of tests. Many different companies around the world are offering or claiming to offer tests. There are doubts among the public health doctors about how accurate those tests might be, or those kits might be, and we have to evaluate them properly first. But they are going to be an essential component of the future of this crisis. You mentioned South Korea um, and their policy of test, 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 but they really took a, a, a adopted a policy of test, trace and treat. So how can we have a truly effective testing system uh, in a situation where around half of the cases that are, are being diagnosed are seem to be community based? That's a real problem, isn't it? that so many cases have arisen in the community where the origin is not known. Um, we've heard a lot about testing. It's been a subject of controversy over the last two weeks. We've heard a lot less about our efforts in contact tracing. We know that members of defence forces and other elements of public service have been brought in to work on this. There is encouraging news in terms of contact tracing. We know that the number of contacts turning up with each in confirmed cases has dropped from about 20 down to about five. That means people are getting out less uh, and therefore potentially infecting fewer people. That's good news. We haven't heard too much else about how this system is working. And effectively, it can only work really well if we have some sort of IT system. And there is talk about mobile phone trackers and things like that, um, so that we build up a picture of where the infection is and where clusters are, are, are to be found and where it might be circulating for pe so that people who are, don't have it will learn about it. We've heard very little in Ireland about the regionality of this disease. You know, where, where is it most prevalent? There are some graphs that show that Dublin, Cork Kerry, Westmeath have higher than average number of cases. But we haven't heard anything that, of the form that we heard from Italy. If you remember, everybody's heard of the town of Vaux or Codogno, some of those crisis towns in Italy, where it suddenly became aware, that the, the, the authorities there, that the disease was circulating there and they were put down into lockdown. And that's where we first heard the word, really, which we now have ourselves. But in Ireland, we've been treated as one entity, um, even though we have a border in the island, which is another issue. Um, and I think there is an arguable case that as we move through the phases of this crisis, that we start applying regional criteria. Tony Hullohan has said several times that there may come a time where certain parts of the country may have to ha uh, have different measures and um, perhaps no travel areas imposed uh, due to the prevalence of cases there. But it hasn't come to that pass yet. Hopefully that's because no area is particularly bad, but I suspect that that's not the case. And there may be an arguable uh, case to be made for uh, increasing the uh, cordon sanitaire or the protections around particular areas in order to uh, chase down cases of the disease and reduce them to the absolute minimum. What then about these new simple antibody tests that are said to be coming on stream soon, uh, which might identify those who have had the virus? Do they seem promising in terms of getting people like healthcare workers back to work and get the economy started again even? I think there's a use in people knowing whether they've had the virus, even if they no longer have it. 
I think that's useful because they know that they probably have some protection against it now. Um, there's obviously a, a use in finding out whether somebody has the virus. As I said, there are questions about the accuracy of those tests, the sensitivity of those tests, and they'll have to be evaluated properly, but at speed um, before they're put into use. But there are so many different companies and so many different organizations who say they're on the point of developing these tests. It's a bit surprising that we haven't seen them come into Ireland yet, but the National Public Health Emergency Team have said that they are open to uh, using these technology and they are on the point of evaluating uh, some of these tests. So I expect they're going to be part of the solution over the coming weeks. Paul, thanks very much. My thanks to Declan Conlon and Suzanne Brennan who produced today's podcast. And thanks for listening. Stay up to date with the latest developments at irishtimes.com. We'll be back tomorrow.